0: I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything.
1: How can the material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Lost logic.
2: Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today.
1: Hello, and welcome back to Sociology 101. Today, we have a guest with us, Eli. I, I, I practice this. All. <laughs> it's Ayala, right? Ayala? I, Eli Ayala. Ayala. Yeah. Ayala. Okay, good. I, 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 uh, Eric Hernandez is a friend of yours, and he works in the office, and he was helping me pronounce your name beforehand because I was trying to get it okay. right. and I still I still mess it up. That's the way it is. Um, my name gets mispronounced uh, quite often as well, so I'm used to that. But, um, Eli, I, I, I covered... You recently in a uh, discussion you had with a uh, an, an atheist on YouTube, I think he's known as this Pine Creek I think his name is what is it Doug do you Doug yeah yeah, yeah. Doug I think is his, his first name and I kept calling Pine Creek because I think that's what it, kind of he's known for on his uh, website but uh, Doug is his is his actual name. And um, you are a, a, a Calvinist, an apologist, a presuppositional apologist. I, I know that you're an apologist that works with the Historical Bible Society uh, and also your own ministry called Reveal Apologetics. Um, and you are a presuppositional apologist and a five-point Calvinist. Um, and you're also seeming to me from my discussions with you and hearing discussions you've had with Eric and others uh, seem to be a very reasonable fella. Uh, uh, You you seem to have cordial conversations with people. You're not um, one of those, what we call cage stage, angry kind of Calvinist, it seems. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the program. Um, After my broadcast, you'd reached out to me and and expressed a desire to have a conversation. Uh, And I, as many people know, welcome those kinds of, of conversations. So first of all, just welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us.
0: Well, thank you for having me. I really
1: appreciate it. And. I want us to be able to kind of unpack these things. I think the people who listen to this program uh, appreciate the fact that we can have conversations cordially among brothers without necessarily agreeing on everything. I think you would probably say about me the same thing that I say about you, which is that um, you're a brother in Christ, uh, you mean well, uh, you, uh, you, you honestly believe what you uh, believe is true and biblical, Um, and you honestly are trying to defend the best interpretation of scripture as you know it. Um, Of course, we have differences of opinion because we have free will, Um, and because we have free will, we have differences of opinion, and we're able to discuss those things rationally and to use argumentation to help convince the will of the other to see our side of things. and, and I would think that maybe some differences mechanically and philosophically how that works behind the scenes with regard to God's decree and sovereignty and all those kinds mm-hmm, of issues, yeah. which we may get into. Um, but what I took yeah. issue with, uh, if, if you haven't watched the program, go back and you can watch that the, the program. I'll put a link in the show notes to the, the original program that I was giving a critique of evangelistic uh, apologetics with regard to Calvinism and how Calvinism can affect the way you uh, talk to unbelievers, and I use a clip mm-hmm. f- from your conversation with Doug, a known atheist, on his program when he asked you the question, "What is the gospel?" You know, "What what mm-hmm. must I do to be saved?" And um, I, I commended you, though I didn't agree with your theology, obviously, and I was a little cringing at you <laughs> you giving him a Calvinistic <laughs> answer because I didn't want you giving him a Calvinistic answer for obvious reasons. But I, I will give you props where props are due. You were consistent. Um, you 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 spoke uh, exactly what you believed to be true, whereas in my experience, not always, but in my experience, I have seen many times those who claim to be Calvinistic when I'm talking to them sound very inconsistent when talking to a lost person. Um, mm-hmm. Has that been your experience as well, or maybe that's different oh, yeah. from your side of the oh, world yeah, than mine? Yeah.
0: I think I think the context of the conversation because uh, well real quick uh, just to clear clear things up uh, sure I keep being referred to as pastor <laughs> I'm I'm actually not a pastor well um, and, and I don't know why. everywhere yeah, and, I go people call me pastor but yeah the, um, well the, in the title and,
1: of Doug's uh, uh, show he, it right. calls you pastor Eli and that's why I refer to you as pastor Eli but um, you, right, you've right. corrected me since then but and I told him
0: I wasn't a pastor but people just keep calling me pastor but anyway be that maybe as maybe God's um, trying but, to tell you something Eli. Well, we'll see if he he so decrees. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Well, well, the context of that conversation was um, I made a response video to a guy who made a claim that all of the the characters in the Bible were were fictitious and and mythological. And so when I did a response to that, it kind of went like semi-viral. And so a couple of people reached out to me, and Doug had reached out to me to do an interview explaining why I believe what I believe. And so that was the context of that conversation. It wasn't um, primarily an evangelistic context, although my theology would not have changed otherwise. Oh um, I definitely would not have started out within a, an, an evangelistic context with many of the things that we did speak about. Um, so just to, to give that um, that brief clarification. But yeah, um, we spoke a lot about apologetics and things like that. And as a presuppositionalist, I seek to be very, very consistent with my ultimate presuppositions, and it's because I tend to think along worldview lines and ultimate foundations, and um, saying things that are consistent with those foundations, I try my best to also have that um, spill into those other areas of theology. If I'm a Calvinist, people ask me these direct questions. I want to be as consistent as as I can, so that's what I tried to do.
1: Okay. Um, and and that makes sense. And I and I appreciate the, the consistency and the honesty. Though I obviously disagree with the, the, the theology sure. behind your answers, and that's and that sure. was the motivation for the program is to um, is to ultimately kind of critique why I think that kind of methodology is 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 not only wrong but can be dangerous if it's incorrect. Uh, and I think you sure. would agree that any any false teaching or any teaching that's false, whether it's mine or yours can have detrimental impact or can have negative impact because of of the fact of it's nature being false. Um, But, of course, that's the debate, as to whether it's false or not. Um, Right. And
0: I I, I, I just want to say something. Well, one thing that's completely unrelated and one thing that's related. Um, I I should have told you this at the beginning, but I do have uh, around until 2.05 Eastern time, if that's okay. Um, Just wanted to let you know because then my house will fill up. Anyway, um, what I was going to say is that um, when I told people that I would be on your show, a lot of people kind of, you know, encouraged me, oh, you got to say this, you got to do this, you got to do that, and he's anti-Calvinist, this, that, or the other thing, and I, and my mindset has been, um, I don't think you're anti-Calvinist, that you hate Calvinist in that sense, um, but if you believe Calvinism is wrong, you are well within your right, and if you feel morally obligated to do so, you should be saying the things that you say, and so, even though we disagree, I have no problem with your disagreements. As a matter of fact, one of the the things that I've been expecting, even in this conversation, is to understand your disagreements much more clearly. Um, because, as I said before, um, especially when we deal with those foundational issues of say, how is God sovereign? What does sovereignty mean? How can right. man be uh, free and responsible? How do those work together metaphysically? Those are difficult, yeah. and so I don't think I have the corner on truth in, in these areas, um, and I'm willing to learn. So I just want to let you know. that's the spirit with which I come into this conversation. I really do want to understand your position better. Um, Because after listening to a lot of what you've done, I'm still a little unclear on some things, and that's why it's good to have these discussions.
1: Man, that sounds way too reasonable. Are you sure you're a Calvinist?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, it's sad because most Calvinists that I know make me shake my head and like oh my gosh like when i do i do interviews i interview uh, various people and on google hangouts and stuff and almost all the non-calvinists are willing to do the discussions and i don't get as many calvinists as as i would like to have these discussions so on the on on my side of the scale it seems as though non-calvinists tend to be a little more reasonable than my calvinistic brothers but of course
1: and and some yeah there's exceptions on both sides there are some of the people that agree with me theologically and and even give me high fives on on comments and things like that that I'm shaking my head at some of the things they're saying. Don't don't mm-hmm. say that. Please don't say that. And I'll just take this moment to say, if you're one of those making the comments on my YouTube videos or other places that are calling out heretics and yelling people down and all those kind of things. Just don't. just Go somewhere else to do that. You're not helping my, my cause and what I'm trying to do and having a cordial conversations. It is fine to disagree with the systematic. I mean, I, obviously I disagree with Calvinism, but you can do so in a, in a cordial way without casting uh, people who have d- different, primarily physical, philosophical differences um, and and obviously some theological differences. Uh, you don't have to cast them out of the kingdom. Now, does that mean that all Calvinists are saved? Uh, no, no more so than all Arminians are traditional are necessarily saved. There are some people who hold to a particular theological worldview who may not actually um, have genuine faith in Christ or genuine followers of Christ. Um, and, and you can have people who are just mean-spirited and ugly and nasty um, on both sides of this divide. And, and I just really appreciate finding uh, the diamonds in the rough uh, on the internet who, like Eli, I think, uh, is already representing himself as ones who are thinkers uh, and and also can be cordial and loving in a discussion and, and disagree without being overly disagreeable. Um, I've tried to model that on my show, why I, I continue to be uh, berated by some Calvinists as being <laughs> something that I, I have not ever <laughs> strived to be. I don't know. I, I guess some people here secondhand maybe never actually listen to a program or they see one little clip out of its context or something like that. And they come to a conclusion Correct. about me, um, and and I try not to do that to uh, to to my Calvinistic friends, and I would pray that they would not do that to me. Um, and so let's play the clip uh, in question uh, with your discourse when he asks you the question, "What is the gospel?" And this is what I played on the original program, and then mm-hmm. uh, and I won't we don't have to play the whole exact. I'll play it far enough to to get the gist of it. And then, uh, and then I'll let you comment on it um, and talk about it, and then I'll bring up some of the, the, the things that maybe I brought up in the first broadcast that I had problems with, and then we'll just have a dialogue and see uh, kind of where it goes from there, okay? Sure. That work? All right, let me pull this into this. Yeah, the screen. Sounds, sounds good. Okay. Here it is.
3: <clears throat> Christians are going to be shocked to hear me say, but I want you to talk to me about the gospel. I want to talk about Jesus. Okay. And I want you to... Um, let me know, from the best of your ability, what I need to do to be saved.
2: Well, um, what you need to be do to be saved is to believe, and believe in the finished work of Christ. So it's belief, and then your belief uh, will lead to repentance, will uh, lead to your justification. You'll be in right standing with God, and you'll you'll be saved. So um, that's not just something that's on your side of the ledger. I do believe that God has to do a work in you, um, and he may or may not choose to do that, and whatever time he chooses to do that, I'm a good old Calvinist, so I do believe that Salvation is um, is something that God initiates and uh, he may open your heart at this moment Or he may open your heart later on but in order for you to believe the gift of faith needs to be granted to you Um, So so
3: what I'm hearing you say that is that and again, this is from our perspective. We're mere mortals, right? So from God's perspective if he hasn't done a work in me, there's absolutely nothing I can do I can't even believe him. You wouldn't want to believe the very fact I wouldn't have I wouldn't have the desire
2: That's right. If you did have the desire it's because God is doing a work in you. That's right.
3: So technically there's nothing I can do then unless God does something to me first.
2: That's right in and of yourself You can't do anything the Bible says no man sees God
3: So really the fact that I currently don't believe is because God hasn't done anything like do you believe in irresistible grace?
2: Yeah, that's right So if God is if God is not re- if God does not regenerate you then then he is leaving you if he, if he chooses not to do so at all He's leaving you to your own your own means your own will which by nature would be a continual that's my
3: default state
2: That's your default state. That's correct.
3: Yeah, so really it is God's will that I'm not a Christian right now
2: uh, well unless he opens your heart at a particular time then yeah, the God will choose to open your heart when he chooses to open your heart Now that's not that does not mean to say that my preaching the gospel to you is irrelevant um, If you went to a good old Presbyterian church Hopefully they went through some of this with you but we believe that God not only has ends but he also has means through which those ends are reached and uh, Preaching of the gospel is one of the means by which God utilizes to regenerate those that he's predestined before the foundation of the world unto salvation
3: Okay, but ultimately with a capital U, there's nothing I can do to even believe to even in and of yourself.
2: No Okay, that's right.
3: I can't even cry out uh, even if, if, if God hasn't regenerated cry, me
2: if you cry out It is because God is doing a work in you so the right. left himself, um, You know, we're born we're born separated from God our natural inclination is to be at enmity with God if if that's true You will never cry out God does not pass over people who want to be saved But he doesn't want to save and the very fact that you want to be saved is a demonstration that God is already working in that person
3: uh, And I, I, I want to keep this as real as possible. Does sure. does that theology bother you at all?
2: Uh, no, because if it bothered me, that would be because I held certain presuppositions If the Bible's true and what it says about his justice and what we deserve is true, then it doesn't bother me What bothers me is that it is a weighty thing to have to be a instrument through which the Gospels is preached I want to see people say this whole issue of predestination is really from a God's eye perspective I don't know So I, I go earnestly preaching the gospel to, to, to anyone and I, I pray that God uses what I'm doing to bring those that belong to him To uh, to the light, so to
1: speak so- Okay, let's stop there Um and before I jump in, people who've watched the first program, Eli, already know kind of my thoughts on that because I gave almost an hour-long <laughs> critique of what you just said. Uh, and so I've, I've kind of already given my affirmative um, uh, presentation if, if this was a debate, and I'm not saying it's a debate. We're just having a conversation. But if it were a debate, I've kind of already get, I already had the floor for a while. So I want to give you the mm-hmm. floor. Is there anything you'd like to, to comment about that?
0: Uh, yeah. Well, um, just right off the bat, I think at a surface level, you would agree that um, – Doug would be unable to reach out without God first working. Um, hopefully, you would agree with that. Obviously, the Spirit uh, the Spirit needs to do something prior to Doug reaching out and doing something. So on a surface level, I think we both would agree with that statement. However, I think where we would differ, um, obviously, as a Calvinist, I think that when God does extend a particular kind of grace in which uh, upon those who belong to him from before the foundation of the world, he does so effectually. Um, And so that would be the distinction between irresistible grace, and um, which I I think your your position is that um, grace, when extended, is resistible. And so that would be a key difference. But I think at the surface level, there's agreement between you and I that the spirit first has to work. Um, Also, um, when I say left to yourself, um, I I did listen a little bit to your critique of, of my statements of that. Um, and I just want to point out that when I say left to yourself, and you suggested that I shouldn't use that since he's heard the Gospel, what I meant there was left to himself, not that he hasn't heard the Gospel, but that the proclamation of the Gospel has not been joined with an effectual uh, work of the Spirit. Now, that's what I meant. If you hear the Word of God, the Word of the Gospel itself, as, say, a linguistic construction or a conglomeration of words in and of itself doesn't have power intrinsically just merely speaking words. It is the joining of the work of the Spirit along with the presentation of the Gospel. And so I believe that God does not work effectually with everybody. So in, in one sense, if He's not working effectually with the one person, then He is, in a sense, quote, left to Himself. Um, so I just wanted to make that, that distinction.
1: Okay. And it's interesting that this gets to, really, to a recent discussion I had with uh, Roger Olson, who is a known Arminian, mm-hmm. um, and our mm-hmm. disagreement over the concept of prevenient grace. Um, okay. Because the, the this is kind of the, the Calvinism versus Arminianism since, you know, the 15th, 16th century, when this first kind of came to a head. Um, Arminius was obviously a Calvinist. He, he was a part of the Calvinistic camp that, that began to critique and to, to uh uh, I guess, to move away from some aspects of what John Calvin taught. Um, and I think Roger Olson points out something that, you know, Arminius himself actually affirmed this concept of total inability from birth, that, that mankind has lost the capacity to, to respond willingly even to the gospel appeal unless the Holy Spirit does some kind of work of prevenient grace on the heart thus making them uh, capable or uh, able to either accept or reject the gospel. And so um, it's either been, you know, in a lot of people's mind, either that prevenient type of grace or Calvinism, which is an irresistible type of grace um, that, that God works upon the heart, not only to bring them to a place of neutrality where they can have a freedom of choice to accept or reject the gospel, but that he actually changes their nature in such a way that they will certainly accept the gospel. Um, and that's been kind of the debate historically over those two issues, either prevenient grace, an enabling grace that somehow fixes the fallen will of man uh, to make them capable of responding to the gospel, or uh, irresistible grace, Calvinism. And, and what we as traditional Southern Baptists uh, or provisionist, whatever title you want to give us, what we have said is that there is nothing biblical that we have found, at least that's convinced us, that Adam and Eve, once they sinned, lost the ability of the will to to refrain or not refrain from the offer of the gospel. Um, now, some people call that Pelagianism or semi-Pelagianism. That's actually an error, um, and we can go over the historical debate between Augustine and Pelagius in the beginning and then the invention of the word Can, semi- can I?
0: Can I cut in? I apologize. Sure. Um, you don't mind if I cut in every now and then, right? No, no, Because I know do. you'll yeah. be making various points, and I, I might lose track.
1: Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Um,
0: but when you say that you don't see anywhere in Scripture that man has lost the ability of the will, that, that itself, and I'm sure you probably mean you have a more fuller explanation of that, but, but Calvinists don't believe that man has lost the ability of the will. We do choose what I, I think you—I mean, obviously you know, you've had these conversations. It is that moral element, which I right. do think Scripture does touch on, our moral ability right right so we we no one believes that the doesn't believe that man doesn't make choices it's, it's certain kinds of choices that would yes. then be inconsistent with nature that's enslaved sin. right
1: so it, it, right. it when it comes to sociology let's just narrow it down it's the ability mm-hmm. of the will to accept or reject the gospel appeal so if, if the gospel appeal is made to Doug the atheist in, in my in mm-hmm. my worldview he has everything that he needs atonement has been provided for him the 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 Gospel has been presented to him. The Gospel itself is gracious. God didn't have to send the Gospel. God didn't have to send Jesus. Uh, all of that's graciously provided. so it and it's supernaturally inspired. I mean, the the reason we have the Bible today is is a supernatural work of God. Um and nobody I think right. would deny that the inspiration of Scripture is supernatural. And so the very fact sure. that we have the Gospel that it was persevered, that it, that it has been preserved all these years, and that we are compelled as Holy Spirit in, uh, indwelled uh, the bride of Christ to, to disperse it. That, that's even a work of the Holy Spirit. So I'm not denying the mm-hmm. work of the Holy Spirit. What I'm saying is that the Holy Spirit works through means, and he works through the means of the proclamation of the gospel. And therefore, when, when you make an appeal to Doug, be reconciled to God, believe, then he is being confronted by God. In the sense that you are his ambassador as, as i think second corinthians what is it 520 that says christ is making his appeal through us be reconciled to god and so when it comes down to that choice on calvinism doug if he's a reprobate a non-elect person and we don't know that he is for sure until he dies obviously but if he is a non-elect person a reprobate then he cannot willingly accept that appeal. Because either atonement has been withheld from him, if you're a five-point Calvinist, and this effectual right. work of grace or this, this gift of effectual faith or whatever uh, has been withheld from him. And what i well, obviously, I would disagree with that. I think atonement has been provided for Doug, and I believe that, that the gospel itself is sufficient in its revelatory nature. In other words, it sufficiently gives Doug all that he needs to repent and believe— and therefore, so, any, any any resistance on Doug's part is his own fault, not a lacking uh, of God's creation, not a choice that God's withheld some grace from him or withheld faith from him or withheld atonement from him. In other words, I put the full blame onto Doug for his resistance of the appeal of the mm-hmm. gospel, whereas you seem to put that back onto God's decree, and I think that's where the error is.
0: So when you say that he doesn't lack anything, that he's even had atonement provided for him, so you're saying— on your view, that God has provided atonement, that his that His sins have been atoned for? Doug's sins are, are atoned for? Yes. Okay, and if someone's sins are atoned for, God has—does that imply forgiveness of sins? Does that imply—in in what way is his sins atoned for? I'm kind of confused. Sure. In that, are, are you saying that there are those who are lost? Are there—on your view, do you have a reprobate— uh, concept of reprobation in your system?
1: No, like I mean, people not who the, never not are the, saved. Not in the way that Calvinists would say reprobate. Obviously, um, what we would say is there are unbelievers. There are those who perish because they refuse to believe, so as to be saved. As Second Thessalonians two ten says. So if you refuse right. to believe, then you will perish. But that's your own fault, not because God's refused you or withheld something right. from you.
0: Right. But when God chooses to create this world, He knows precisely who will believe and who will
1: not. Right. And I, I perceive you're getting into the philosophical now, right? I mean, by well, asking that I mean,
0: question. I mean, I think that I think the specific points in Scripture should be discussed, and there are logical deductions from certain propositions in Scripture that I think are relevant to the discussion. And I think we all would engage okay. in some form of philosophical analysis well, on these issues, because I don't think that it's possible to escape them. I'm just trying to think in terms of uh, and, and again, you would push me for consistency, rightfully so, and so what I'm trying to do is just to see, um, is there a consistent connection with God actualizing a particular world which He knows precisely who will be saved and who will not? How—I mean, there seems to be—I mean, it seems to necessitate, and I, I use that word carefully—of uh, a kind of reprobation within your own system. So I don't see how this is relevant, particularly to, to my position. That, that's what I'm getting at. Not
1: if you affirm libertarian free will. And, and this goes back to the discussion you had with Eric um, on uh, Andrew's show, uh, which I listened right. to and, and uh, thought Eric did a good job explaining a Molinism. I've never... Uh, I've never affirmed Molinism. I've always said that I think Molinism is a sufficient answer. It's not a necessary answer to believe the Bible. I think it's a sufficient philosophical answer. Just think, just like I right. think the eternal now view that C.S. Lewis and Boethius introduced is a sufficient view, I think Molinism is probably more specific than the eternal now view of God. But both of them are sufficient to maintain a concept of omniscience and libertarian free will. Um, Though there are mysteries within that, I I don't think that we're denying a level of mystery. Uh, Just like we would say we don't know how God creates something from nothing, but we believe that he Mm -hmm. creates something from nothing. In the same way, we would say we don't know how God knows the libertarianly free choices of creatures, but we believe that he does. Um, and, and, And therefore, everything that we're getting into now becomes more of a philosophical speculation as to whether God can know future free choices of creatures. And it seems like open theist and uh, compatibilist have concluded that God can't do that, that God ultimately has to be the, the causal determiner of choices because uh, he is omniscient. In other words, his omniscience limits yeah. his abilities uh, it, with regard to uh, his, his sovereignty um, and uh, his ability to rule how he wants to. Does that make sense? I mean, right. in other well, words, it seems that Calvinists... I I
0: understand, what, I understand what you're saying. I understand what you're saying. And, and, with my, and my discussion with Eric was very helpful— But it really, I I still walked away, you know, partially satisfied. It was a a great discussion, but partially unsatisfied because I I really, it's difficult for me to see how God is not in some way the primary cause of all things, just given the fact that He's omniscient and He creates, and when He creates that which He's omniscient about, Most certainly comes to pass. I don't see how. Well,
1: how we're all going to appeal to mystery. I mean, if if we're going to appeal to the mystery of anything, I would rather appeal to the mystery of man's capriciousness than God's character. And and I think that affirming that mankind make a free choice, um, and what I mean by free is obviously a libertarianly free choice, meaning that um, he's the first mover. As Eric, I think, rightly put it. Um, I think it's a sufficient definition to say the ability to do otherwise, but I don't think that's a necessary condition for libertarian freedom, as I mm-hmm. think Eric rightly explained. Mm-hmm. I think the, the, the best explanation is to say that you're ultimately making a choice by factors within the agent's control. In other words, if, if right. Pine Creek, as Doug, as an atheist, is rejecting Christ because of factors beyond his control, which Calvinism would be the case. He, is, he has no control. He has no more control over the color of his skin than he does over his, yeah, his desires. Yeah, I wouldn't agree
0: with that. Yeah.
1: No. Well, let's talk about that because yeah, we we I, that's kind of in my original broadcast. I brought that up with a, I used blue eyes, I think, just to avoid the racial thing. Right. right. Okay. So, um, <laughs> okay. So if let's say, and I don't think uh, Doug would mind us using him as our as our foil here, but um, okay. So Doug, <laughs> if, if, if let's assume Doug is a reprobate, okay, a non-elect person, mm-hmm. um. And his eyes are blue i don't know what a color his eyes were i wouldn't paying close enough attention no, but.
0: i i i want to interrupt and i do apologize no, and no, I, know, I understand what you're saying and 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 I, I kind of see how how you're thinking there i guess my issue is just getting back you 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 said that it everyone holds to mystery in their position and, and i think that's true but what i'm saying is that i'm having difficulty seeing how this is a mystery namely that god creates with full knowledge of how everything will most certainly come to pass and that you don't have, a, in a sense, a reprobate within your own system. I don't think that that's mysterious. Well, f-
1: if for, for we understand the what,
0: concept of— um, well,
1: Go ahead. Go can ahead, I finish sorry. my thought just Yeah, to, yeah, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry go okay. ahead.
0: Um, no, I'm just saying, if we understand what omniscience is, and God creates with full omniscience uh, in regards to the result of how everything falls out, I'm having difficulty seeing how that's a mystery, saying that that doesn't warrant that you have reprobate, reprobation within your own system. That's what I'm saying. I understand that people call things mystery. I don't see how that's mysterious, given what we know about omniscience.
1: Well, reprobate on the Calvinistic worldview, the people are reprobate for reasons beyond their control. On our view, if you're trying to say that we have a a form of reprobation, that these are the people who God knows will reject him before he creates, then those are not reasons beyond their control. In other words, Doug uh, had control over whether or not he accepts or rejects the gospel on our view. On your view, uh, atonement was withhold from him, and this effectual work of grace was withhold from him. So it's factors mm-hmm. beyond his control, he doesn't have libertarian freedom. And so you, you can right. philosophically speculate all day long as to how um, God knows these things in the future, or whether he determines this, that, or the other. I mean, we can get into the whole Molinistic uh, conversation again, slash eternal view, slash determinism, slash compatibilism. Um, I, I don't think any of those are necessary discussions theologically as to what was the original intent of the author when writing these words. And I think it's
0: pretty I think clear they are. That, re- I think they are related. I well, don't when we take philosophical speculation, it almost seems like you're suggesting, well, these are just speculations over here. I think they are related in the sense that what we know about omniscience and God as creator, they seem to be logical deductions that one can try to make to see their, the connection there. When you say that he has control, I grant he has control, Doug has control, put him in, in scare quotes, in one sense, but ultimately, uh, he, God chose to create a world in which Doug exists, and he and Doug didn't have control over that. And uh, God created a world in which Adam would sin, and he would represent mankind, and we would be born with the original sin. Doug didn't have control of, over that either. Um, So in one sense, that's just to say I'm a compatibilist. I believe that a a certain level of control, specifically defined, is consistent with God decreeing. Would you hold to the idea that when God chooses to create a particular world, that that is a decree that involves specific plans for every detail that flows out of his decision to create?
1: Well, you're getting into the the logical order of decrees, which is purely philosophical. There's nothing. There's nothing biblical that even gets to those issues, as far as I can tell. Um, the, I'm now, not there doing are that. Passages, I don't think I am doing that. Well, I'm I'm saying there are passages which can relate mm-hmm. to the claims of Molinism and compatibilism. What I'm saying is, okay. is is that none of those. I I don't believe any of those authors are intending to teach a compatibilistic worldview or a Molinistic worldview or. Any other any other philosophical worldview out there that we have, uh, or libertarian view as well? Right, I don't think any of them are okay. intending to teach that. I think there are presumptions okay. or assumptions that the authors have, um, and I maintain that they are they are consistent with libertarian freedom. So, in other words, okay, I think uh, the author is treating the the unbeliever as if they can and have the full capacity to believe i I don't think he's treating them as if they are have been rejected by god uh from eternity past i don't think he's treating them as if they have lost the ability of the will to to accept the gospel when it's presented to them I, i believe that the authors of scripture um intuitively believe that it's within the agent's control that that he's making decisions within his uh, by factors within his control um, where on Calvinism I don't think that you can say that now in any sense of the word because one, if atonement's not provided then there's no way for that person to ever be, to be saved regardless um, and then secondly, if the effectual gift of grace is not given to them then there's no way for them to believe so you can't say in any, any uh, discernible sense of the word or any uh, a true sense of the word that that, that that is a factor within his control he has no control over the color of his eyes when he's born any more so than he has control over whether God's chosen him or not for effectual salvation. And and that's... Well, that's, that's the reason... Go ahead. Okay, I
0: apologize, go ahead.
1: No, no, finish. go ahead and jump in.
0: Well, well, that's why, I mean, I don't like to use the whole, you know, eye color thing. I, I'm just going to the issue of if God creates, He has full... I mean, you're saying that this is philosophical speculation, and to a certain degree it is, but I think it's something that we can still... we can still talk about. I mean... If, and even with in relation to God decreeing with meticulous detail, saying that we are, we, we don't have the capacity to do A, B, or C, I think we do have the capacity, we don't have the willingness. And regardless of which position you stand theologically, we still have to deal with the issue of that if God decrees um, what I will do, can, or I wouldn't even say, will I do other than what God decrees that I will do. Not can I or can't I, the capacity is there, Uh, and there is a certain level of freedom, but I don't think that the Bible teaches that we have freedom from, say, God's decrees.
1: Right. Well, again, that gets to the point of whether you define decree as that which God has determined beforehand, authored beforehand, written beforehand, scripted beforehand, or whether you're talking about what God knows uh, you will freely, libertarianly freely choose to do. And so Mm -hmm. there are some Molinists I'm, I'm aware of who use the term decree Uh, In that way, as to say that God is ultimately by choosing this particular world where you'll choose X versus Y, that he is in a sense Mm -hmm. decreeing that that world come to pass um, and that they're using decree with libertarian freedom um, assumed within it. Um, and, and in th- those situations, I probably wouldn't have much of, a, a, of an issue because he's, he's, he's in a sense, um, deciding to create a world where libertarian free choices are made. But in that world, if you're granting that, if you're granting that Doug is making a libertarianly free choice, then the rest of the discussion is moot. It doesn't it doesn't really matter what else you say.
0: No, I, I, I disagree. Well, I was waiting for you to ask me uh, when you said if you did believe a decree is this, that or the other thing, I was hoping you would ask me. Well, Eli, what do you think a decree
1: is?
0: Eli, what do you think a decree is? <laughs> I, I think a decree is uh, God's specific plans for the reality he creates. And so the plans involve every detail. And so God has intentions in fulfilling a plan and then puts that plan into place, he creates, and everything that follows out in some way, and I don't claim to know metaphysically how this works out, in some way it comes to fruition. And so that's what I mean by decree. Even when we say God is the cause of all things, I'm even careful when I say that, since, as I'm sure you know, there are different kinds of causation, and I'm not I'm not clear what kinds of causation are available to God that he uses them in the way that he does. But, but that's what I mean by decree. And when we say God causes, I don't necessarily imply that cause means necessarily specifically what you think it might mean or anybody else so that's right. where i think when we use this language we got to be we got to be careful how we're using this
1: well and, and I, I was just having a, a conversation with eric before we we started and he's his primary area of study is philosophy whereas my primary area of study is theology um and hmm. and we often talk about how You know, philosophy is, uh, he even says something to the effect of philosophy is a handmaiden to theology. Um, And and, and I agree uh, with that. And I also understand that I'm not a philosopher. I don't have a philosophy a degree in philosophy i understand the aspects of it you know i can read um and i've read quite a bit especially related to sociology with regard to the different philosophical areas and so i may be a little bit more educated than the average joe out there with regard to this philosophical issue but that's Mm -hmm. that's not my major concern my major concern is what is the intention of the author when writing this text what is the intention of of god in inspiring this text to be written Um, And I'm not convinced uh, Romans 9, for example, or Ephesians 1, for example, or John 6, for example, which would be the three-pillar text according to James White and other leading uh, Calvinistic apologists, um, I don't believe that the authors intended to teach what Calvinists have interpreted those passages to mean. Therefore, Mm -hmm. the philosophy really is secondary to that because it seems to me that our philosophy is stepping in to help explain how, uh, if compatibilistic determinism is true, if, i.e., Calvinism is true, a la Romans 9, a la Ephesians 1, a la John 6, you know, and a few other passages that we can go to, then philosophically we've got to make that consistent Throughout all of the revelation of God, and, there, and then therefore our philosophy will oftentimes you know uh, inform how all the, these passages can come together and be congruent right. and, and work together as one. Well, okay, so if I don't believe Romans 9 is teaching that, if I don't believe Ephesians 1 is teaching that or John 6 is teaching that, then there's no reason for me to go through the rigmarole or the loops to jump through to make compatibilistic determinism work. I don't need to do that. And, and therefore, it's a secondary matter to me. And we can go to all kinds of guesses as to how it works in, metaphysic, in metaphysics and all of the the nuances that y'all got into and, and great depth there on Andrew's show. I, that's just, it's kind of like eschatology to me. It's not that much interest. I go, yeah, I can see where he's coming from there. I see that <laughs> hey, side. Hey, eschatology I is super side. interesting. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's interesting. It's just, it's just like, yeah, you know what, um, you know, I, yeah. I, I, I like to read about it occasionally, but. Huh, you know, uh, I move on and I go, OK, what what is sure. the intention of the author? And and that's where it comes down to the to the, the basic meaning of the text. Is there a text of scripture that says, getting back to our original issue of prevenient grace and all that, is there a text of scripture that clearly indicates that Adam and Eve lost the liberty of the will that even the London Baptist Confession says that they once had? Um, even even the Westminster Confession, uh, both Calvinistic confessions seem to indicate the a liberty a liberty, a, a libertarian, even free will of Adam and Eve. Now, I know some Calvinists may take issue with that and may argue with me on that, but I have absolutely no um, hesitation whatsoever in affirming the Westminster and uh, 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 London Baptist Confessions uh, chapters nine. Uh, verse points one and two with regard to dis- the description of the liberty of the will of Adam and Eve because it gives a clear indication um, that they had a true ability to either sin or not to sin when tempted in the garden. Um, and that is a, a, a definition, a sufficient definition of liberty, uh, libertarian free will as, as far as I can tell. Um, and therefore, if we, we, if we agree with those confessions and say that Adam and Eve were created with this liberty of the will, then, then it's the incumbent upon those who believe that they lost it to show where in the scripture they did lose it. Does, does Cain and Abel um, did they not have the liberty of the will to bring the the right offering to to the father? Because the father seems to treat them as if they both had the ability to do what Abel did, um, and and he even speaks of you know sin crouching at your door, lest you resist it, and um, he seems to treat them as if they have the same liberty that Adam and Eve had. Um, and, there, and therefore, some theological statement somewhere along the way has to come into play to say, okay, Adam and Eve lost their ability to listen to an inspired word of God sent by holy inspired messengers calling us to repentance from the fall, and we can't respond positively to it. Why? Because we're fallen. Because that's ultimately the condition that Doug is in, on your view. Doug is a fallen man. And because he's fallen, according to your worldview, he can't respond to the appeal to be reconciled from that fall. Where is that established biblically? Theologically, where is that established? I'm not asking about philosophy. I'm asking biblically, where is it established that Doug does not have the capacity to hear the gospel proclaimed and to believe it?
0: Well, I, I apologize, but I'm going to have to move back. You did say a lot, and I, yeah, while fine. you think you, it's not, and that's fine. I no, you much. can disagree it's with me on was, what you think. relevant. No, I didn't want to interrupt because you, you, you know, if I interrupt. I don't want to appear as so no, no. Go ahead. I'm, you know. Um, arguing. But um, getting back to the decree, I don't want to get away from this, but I think, I think it's important, and I think you don't give yourself enough credit in terms of uh, your philosophical acumen. Um, if you've spoken with Eric, you will know that we use philosophy um, necessarily by the very fact that we confront Scripture. We come with some philosophical baggage that needs to be the case so that we can interpret and make certain connections and things like that. This is um, uh, what I think is part of the command that we're to love the Lord our God with all our mind. So, so yes, we're going to engage in some kind of philosophical reflection. Um, however, when we when you said something to the effect that we want to get to the original intent of the author, a I say yes and amen. But when we speak of scriptures that speak of God's intentions, His eternal purposes, I think there's good reason to believe that the original intent of the author in those passages make, make the, the teaching clear that God has a specific intention for everything that, that comes to pass. Um, and so I don't think, when, when you say it's mysterious and it's often philosophy, I don't think it's as mysterious as one might think. God has purposes. When he creates, he has specific plans that he's working, he's working out such that they come to fruition in complete detail. And so um, getting back to how this relates to what we were talking about, when we talk about Doug not being able to do A, B, or C, um, in a human level, yes, we talk about capacities and the ability to choose otherwise and things like that, but I don't think the Bible speaks that in, in, in relation to being free from God's eternal purposes, because God's eternal purposes always come to fruition. And so my question is, how do you avoid the same concept God creates with a specific plan, which deals with the uh, the destinies of, of every single person? But by necessity, it seems. The very fact that He creates A world with certain people where he knows precisely how they will use their free will I don't see how you escape the the same well a similar kind of situation that you're that you're saying the Calvin struggles with
1: okay well you you said earlier you said that God has a specific intention of everything that comes to pass okay let me Mm -hmm. ask you this question assume libertarian free will is true okay I know you don't agree that it is but let's assume that it is could it be Mm -hmm. that God has a, a specific intention for creating people with libertarian free will
0: Sure, but in okay. creating people okay. with libertarian free will, it still sets in stone, so to speak, the ultimate decisions that God foreknows A-la that he
1: would. Okay, fine. I'm sorry. Allah, Allah, Molinism. So what? Okay, so you still got oh, libertarian no, free no, no, will? Not, not necessarily. I yeah. used to be a Molinist, by the way. <laughs> well, good. Uh, not go necessarily,
0: back. and and even if minimally to affirm Molinism, minimally would accept that that that's fine. There's some Calvinists who have that particular understanding. Well, my my issue is. It's not does someone have the capacity? It's will someone do other than what God decrees they will do? There's still capacity in there, but it'll never be actualized because the only difference God, God decrees. Eli, the I'm only sorry?
1: difference, only difference is if you're assuming or you're not assuming libertarian freedom, the 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 first mover of His will. In other words, it is dug. Is, the, is Doug the one who's the first mover of his resistance of the Holy Spirit's gospel appeal? I say that Doug is yeah. the first mover in the sense that he is the one who has rejected, by his own yeah. free will, the offer of salvation. Calvin has told to that, Dr. Flower. the gospel. I
0: believe that. Okay. Doug chooses, Doug chooses, and God, by decree, permits his choice. Okay. I don't, you, I don't see how I, you, I'm you not able to see that, that myself. Clip, though, you
1: said in that clip. Can that,
0: you say, I'm sorry, can you say that again? Your voice skipped in and out there. Yeah. I didn't catch what you just said.
1: In that clip, you said that mm-hmm. he needs an effectual work of grace that would mm-hmm. cause him to believe. In other words, God has, for whatever reason, withheld giving him this effectual faith of Calvinism, this mm-hmm. regeneration, okay? But then you're also saying, on the other hand, this is where A equals not A in my mind. You're saying, A. Okay. It is it is within his control, and then B he has no control over it, and that's a, that seems well, to be a, a blatant contradiction God decrees, to me.
0: God decrees that Doug will not respond to the gospel, and God decrees to withhold effectual grace at that particular time. And if and if God has ultimately decreed that he would be a Christian, then part of that decree includes that will that Doug will respond to God's grace. And so as, as Doug pointed it, out. That it will accomplish
1: but so as Doug pointed out in that discourse the ultimately capital U ultimately it's got it's God's responsibility as to whether Doug or not believes or not
0: what do you what do you mean God's responsibility I, I think I have I, there's another thing when I'm reading up on this he's, I have he's, uh, he's the when the one we talk about responsibility um I I look at responsibility as you know um I am answerable to someone or I am you Culpable. know accountable to someone right. God God's not responsible in that sense. I would say that ultimately, God is the one who decrees. And so in that sense, yes, God, it's God's decision who is going to be saved and who's who's not gonna be saved.
1: All right, let, yes. let's, talk about, let's talk about culpability, responsibility. Um, I've always mm-hmm. been known to say that responsibility is connoted in the very word, your ability to respond. And so if, if Doug has the ability to respond to the gospel, then he's held responsible, able to respond to that appeal on calvinism without effectual grace he's not able to respond to that appeal Mm -hmm. but on calvinism Mm -hmm. he's culpable because of adam's sin in other words he's not culpable because he's refrained from accepting the gospel he's ultimately culpable because he's inherited the guilt of adam and therefore you call him responsible but he's not able to respond and that's the confusion i think that people have so let's use an analogy okay uh, you, you have well, real
0: quick, I, I'm so sorry, because I'll get, I'll get lost. Yeah, go ahead. When you say that Doug is able to respond, uh, what does that mean in relation to uh, decree? He's able to believe the gospel. He's able to respond, he's able but to if God positively... decrees the details of time and space, the issue is, will he respond? And I'm saying no. And I don't see, again, even okay, with libertarian but, freedom, I guess I, I have difficulty understanding how libertarian freedom works. Right. I don't see how... How you could escape that same accusation. Since even with libertarian freedom, uh Doug will freely choose what he will choose, and he will choose what God foreknew he will choose.
1: Well, knowledge isn't causal, as we've talked you all talked about on your own program there. So him him knowing what Doug will freely choose is different from him decreeing, i.e., determining whether or not to give him effectual grace or not. Um and Mm -hmm. that's and that's where Calvinism is ultimately putting the responsibility back onto God as to whether Doug believes or not, and, and right, that's right. the problem. But,
0: but, but just real quick, and I do apologize. I do agree with you, and I'm glad you point this out because a lot of Calvinists make this mistake: is that foreknowledge is not causative. It's not. However, what I'm having difficulty seeing and trying to understand your position that on the on the one hand, while while foreknowledge is not causative, the act of the omniscient God to create the particular reality that he does is causative, it seems, even if it means that that includes God actively bringing things about or God passively bringing things about through through permission.
1: And again, this goes so back I into the see, loop of what you guys already discussed. And Eric, I think, answered rightly: is that the cause uh, well, of one's existence? That's why I'm asking you, Doctor
0: Flowers. So I don't think he well, uh, gave me an answer well, that was again, sufficient. That's why I'm trying to maybe pick your brain and see if you can maybe clarify
1: that for me. Again, it, it goes it goes back to oh, gotta. Message come up. I don't know why they do that. Okay, uh, it goes back to um, it goes back to whether God is the cause of a libertarian free creature existing or not. We affirm mm-hmm. that He is the cause of the existence of a libertarianly free creature. Okay, so Him being the cause of a libertarianly free creature in one sense makes Him the cause of all that that libertarianly free creature will choose to do. In the primary sense. Say
0: that, say that again. Can you say that again? Okay. That phrase again.
1: Right. Uh, put it this way he can be the 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 he can be the cause of the existence of a libertarian free creature and in that mm-hmm. sense be the cause of what all that creature ends up choosing to do freely but he is not the cause right. of what they freely choose to do he is not the was, is what, not, what
0: you just said what you just said is I I I hear I, I, as a Calvinist I would agree with that God doesn't God ultimately is the cause of my existence And the fact that my existence is part of his decree, it includes my free choice, but my free choice will always be uh, accomplishing God's initial, detailed plan before he created. And so, yes, he accomplishes his will through my choices, but what I choose is precisely part of God's plan. Now, Eli, my understanding
1: understanding of Calvinism proper, and compatibilistic mm -hmm. Calvinism in specific, is that God is the decisive cause. Of your desires to either accept or reject him. In other words, um, it's not that What God, do you mean,
0: decisive cause? What, what do you mean that? Like okay. he decrees. Right, who he will, is, right. He is, is he's the mean? one
1: who decides whether to effectually grace Doug or not to effectually grace Doug. Therefore, he is the decisive cause of Doug's desire to come or to reject Christ. On my view,
0: when you God say decisive, knows, though, again, I, I do have to interrupt. I do apologize because I'm. I want to, when you say decisive, what, what does that mean? The deciding,
1: uh, the one who decides. God is the one who decides what Doug will decide in any given situation.
0: In what sense is, is, does God decide that?
1: In the sense that he either effectuates him through uh, uh, giving him this effectual grace, regenerates him, or he mm-hmm. doesn't. He withholds that. That's, a deci- withholds that's God's and decision. Let,
0: and, let's Doug, and lets Doug make his own decision, right?
1: the default as he referred to it as the default position the position he was born in with blue eyes is to reject and hate god he has no control over that any more so than he has control over accepting christ well, well, once regenerated
0: that, right right well he doesn't have control over his own existence yeah, we acknowledge a bunch of things that we don't have control over but i don't think um it's it's a one-to-one correspondence in that analogy you have one that's genetically uh necessitated and you have one that has moral implications to it and so i do i and do think and that's to why i use blue eyes as an analogy
1: is that he has no more control over the color of his eyes than he does over his hatred of God on your view
0: well he has control in the sense that uh, choices are made by people my eyes my eye color is not made by any choice that I that I make
1: Okay, so I so. believe the
0: choices I think what what you're presupposing is that um, and maybe it's maybe it's a little bit of begging the question but I, I say that carefully because I, I know that you can also defend why you why you assume that is that you're assuming that um, that the choice within the Calvinist system is no different than being uh, uh, born with blue eyes because on the Calvinist system that's not really a choice. Well, you, you don't believe that the, anal- the, the analogy of the blue has eyes. Real-
1: the analogy of the blue eyes is is only to to go to towards the factors that are beyond their control. In other words, it's it's a factor beyond right. your control as to what eye color your is, you is. You you have it's a factor beyond right. your control as to what nature you're born with. And so if you're born with a nature— But the, the nature, Calvinist
0: agrees with you, though, right? Doesn't the Calvinist agree? Yeah, there are certain things that are outside our, our right. control. Well, where we disagree but is the factor,
1: yeah, the factor that you can't accept God's appeals for factors beyond your control. We don't agree with that. We, we don't think Adam lost the ability when he sinned. We don't think he lost the ability to reply to God positively. We we still think uh, mm-hmm. Cain and Abel still had the ability to bring the right offering or not bring the right offering, uh, to to to, right. to to humble themselves and to to ask for forgiveness when they've sinned. They still have that capacity as a lost person. No. Um, on Calvinism, so now, they don't so now, have let that me capacity. Ask a
0: question. Let me ask a question then, because I don't have a lot of time, unfortunately. I do want to get to this one question, because um, honestly, uh, I, I guess I think I understand what you're saying, but then that leads me to certain texts, which I know you've touched on in your podcast, and admittedly, I haven't listened to all your podcasts, so... You know, I hope you don't. But you, you haven't think listened uh, over four
1: hundred hours of my. Golly, man. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you have,
0: you have, and dude, I don't. To be honest, I don't know how you do it. Someone will respond to you, and you'll throw out a two uh, and a half. I mean, it's interesting. An it's like hour or two a week. Sometimes it a required, too
1: hard? it's required. Then you give up sports Center It's amazing what you can have time for. Go, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's uh, true. But, by the way, before I go, I, I'd like to ask you about your time management. I think that's a very interesting uh, thing about what I think. You need to have time management to do what you do. So hopefully oh, sure. I can ask an unrelated question afterwards. But anyway, so when you when you talk about uh, not losing the ability to, to respond positively uh, to God, I guess the first question that comes to my, my mind and a lot of other Calvinists is, are, are the passages in Scripture which speak of... Um, of the inability of man, that, that the natural man cannot please God, the man, in the, according to the flesh, does not submit to the law of God. Um, for Honestly, and I don't, you know, this isn't a zinger, you've heard this verse a thousand times, how would you explain that to someone like myself who thinks sure. like a Calvinist and needs to learn to step outside these Calvinistic shoes to really right. see what you're saying so that I can understand those passages? And, that, that's my that bread, and that's it.
1: my bread and butter that's that's where i and that's where you kept going down the philosophical road I'm going i can get eric back in here to. Well, do, to no, I, don't think
2: <laughs> I want it's to go that's to the, so I I to go the theological
1: logical deduction from the text but i go agree ahead. okay so you were referring to romans 8 which we've done several broadcasts on romans 8 where it says that okay. the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God. The mind set on the flesh, it cannot submit to the law of God. Okay, so an inability to submit to the law of God if your mind is set on the flesh does not prove that you can't confess that your mind is set on the flesh, or you can't confess that you can't submit fully to the law of God so as to trust in the one who did. Um, oftentimes, uh, Romans chapter 3 is used. No one seeks God, no, not one. No, no one is righteous, no, not one. Well, he's talking about right. no one is righteous in accordance with the law but then he goes right on to say Abraham was declared righteous so which is it is it no one's righteous or there was some righteous people Enoch was called righteous job was called righteous can
0: we can we can we back up just real quick and and again I'm only reason why I'm interrupting you is because I I only have literally five minutes so I do want to get this uh, this so you said that um, that the fact that man cannot submit to the will of God and the the, The law of God uh, the man in the flesh according to the flesh right Um, but that doesn't mean that he cannot confess now again when one confesses is that not itself submitting to the law of god since the law of god seems to require that someone confess their sins and, and turn
1: i have a perfect article for you on this um, and, and please it, by the way oh, send yeah, them to I'll me i'd love to read them but it, it's ultimately the conflation of saying okay you cannot you cannot become righteous by fulfilling the demands of the law right mm-hmm. you cannot you cannot become righteous you cannot attain righteousness by fulfillment the demands of the law therefore jesus said or god says confess your sins and trust in christ and what the calvinist has done is because you cannot fulfill the demands of the law therefore this other command of therefore confess that you can't fulfill the demands of the law therefore means you cannot confess the demands of the law because that's another command you see what i'm saying it, and it's just a non oh, well, well, teaching. A, i mean it is a command though
0: i mean when you say Okay. that you cannot attain righteousness through the work of the law. All right, let me use That's an analogy. That's
1: true, but what— Real, real quick, let me, use a, let me real, use a quick analogy, okay? Uh, you did this with okay. my kids whenever they were little. Um, you got them at the bottom of the stairs. I got to the top of the stairs, and I said, okay, you've got to get to the top of the stairs, but you can't touch the stairs, you can't touch the railing, you can't touch the walls, Go. And it's impossible, absolutely impossible. It's meant to be impossible, okay? And they're all complaining and whining, and one of them's throwing stuff, and one of them's jumping and hitting the side of their, and nobody can do it. And finally, they're just like, Daddy, can you help us? And I kind of raise my eyebrows like, I haven't been asked. Dad, oh, Daddy, can you carry me to the top of the stairs? And I come down. When he asked me to carry him, I carry him to the top yeah. of the stairs. And then we get to the top, and we, we talk about how you cannot get to heaven on your own, okay? You can't do it. It's impossible. Now, if that means that, therefore, you can't recognize that fact, And confess that fact whenever it's offered to you to be carried then then that's Mm -hmm. exactly what the calvinist is saying they're saying because they can't get to the top of the stairs on their own therefore they can't confess that fact and trust in the one who's offering to carry them and that's a non-sequitur it just doesn't follow
0: well i that's a not that's a non-sequitur yes it's a non-sequitur given the assumption of your analogy but i don't think your analogy is is uh well, I mean, just to be—I mean, just keep expressing my own view. I don't think the analogy is biblical because the state of the of the unregenerate sinner is not a child. You know, you know, Dad, I, I can't get down the stairs. Well, these people are enemies of God. The Bible says that they're they're hostile. The mind of the flesh is hostile. So it's not only are they unable to, in the sense that you know they they don't have that moral capacity. They have no desire. They're actually at enmity. And so that's why I. I uh, analogies okay, so, are helpful, but sometimes or, or, the analogy can let's muddle just the water because I don't think have they're, you ever they're known... analogous to the actual text. Have you, you ever Christian?
1: known? Have you ever known somebody who's an enemy with somebody else be reconciled with that other person? Of course, well, of course but you it's have. Yes. The okay. way I reconcile with my friends, different than me. Different than how we're reconciled with God. And I think we're kind of talk over each other a little bit because I don't think you can hear me until you stop talking and I can yeah, hear stop talking Yeah, your voice skipped though. So they skip out. But let me let me finish the analogy. Okay, so even in the human world. Two, two, um, two people can be at odds with each other and enemies with each other, and they can be reconciled to each other. They can change their hearts. So even, even in the, just a normal world, we believe that a, an enemy can confess uh, his animosity and his anger and humbly confess, I did wrong, and, and I want forgiveness. I, I, want, I, want, I want reconciliation, okay? But for some reason, the Calvinist just assumes that somebody who's an enemy, someone who's in bondage to sin, therefore cannot confess they're in bondage they can't confess no no that no no, no.
0: <laughs> when you say the Calvinist just the soup i mean come on the Cal. well i mean there are some pretty wet wa- they're pretty wacko calvinists out there but it's not I, just an assumption. my argument the assumption is the assumption which is, makes which makes go ahead
1: i was saying the assumption is based upon um a philosophical and theological systematic <laughs> no no not no. a biblical <laughs> not a disagree. biblical Jesus
0: it, it's an assumption is, a, is based upon uh, an interpretation of certain text. Now, now, notice what I said. It's based on a particular interpretation of the text. I understand that you have different interpretations of the text that would That's be relevant, given. but it's based on the text itself right. that there is a situation that differentiates how one is reconciled horizontally from man to man and how one is supernaturally brought to spiritual life and thus rec- reconciled to God within the spiritual sphere. And I think it's... it's um, I don't want to say inappropriate. I guess it's it's un... Well, let me use inappropriate. You know what I mean. I don't mean you're being inappropriate, but it's inappropriate to, to use these analogies as though there's this some kind of one-to-one correspondence with how man interacts with, with men or reconciles with men and how man is reconciled to God. I don't think there's a one-to-one. Uh, and there, now, and there
1: may be some. Differences. I do
0: apologize. You can finish your thought, but I do have to go. So, okay. um,
1: well,
3: two hundred five. No, no, I understand. Right
1: you, you, you warned me beforehand that you were going to have to leave. And no worries. We'll just cut it there and uh, and let it be. I think people who listen to my program know uh, well enough how I cover. The a proof text that Calvinists used to support right. this concept of total inability.
0: And, and send me li- and send me links. I will I will look them up. I, I I promise.
1: Yeah, and I I would appreciate that. But thanks, Eli, for coming on the program. And uh, maybe we can have you back again when we have a little bit more time, and we can unpack some of the mysteries of of uh, this fun discussion uh, another time.
0: That would be wonderful, and I really do appreciate uh, this respectful interaction. I know that people can be annoyed when we say thank you for being so respectful. So you know, you always need to pre. <laughs> preempt these kinds of conversations as like these qualifiers but i genuinely uh find you to be a respectful guy and, and definitely keep me on my toes to think so i do appreciate it
1: well uh the feeling is mutual my friend god bless you go with, you with your family we'll talk later god bless brother All All right, bye bye-bye. Bye-bye.
2: Thanks for attending our online university classroom. Remember, this is a listener-supported ministry, so please consider becoming a patron of the podcast by donating online. Join our team and help spread the word. For more resources, books, and articles from Professor Flowers, or to learn how you can support this ministry, please visit www.soteriology101.com. Thank you very much for listening to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. Uh, If you have any questions um, that you would like me to cover in a podcast episode, uh, please email them to me to revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Also, we very much um, appreciate your prayers, and if you wish to support Revealed Apologetics financially, uh, you can by doing so. Um, We have a a PayPal account set up. Uh, You can... um, uh, Help us out financially um, at paypal.me slash revealedapologetics, paypal.me slash revealedapologetics. And that would be uh, greatly appreciated if, if you were able to help out financially. If not, um, we, we definitely would appreciate uh, prayer. Um, and um, once again, if, if you have any questions uh, that you'd like me to cover, revealedapologetics at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and God bless. We'll be right